this morning before we begin, I, I know this week is a, is a week in, the, in our country where we celebrate veterans. And so the scripture teaches us that we are to outdo one another in showing honor. We honor one another. So this morning we want to take time and honor our veterans. Now this last week, last Sunday I left here, went to see my dad, and on Monday night he invited me to go with him to sing in a group called the Tonesman. And the Tonesman is kind of like a group of about 20 men, and they sing kind of barbershop quartet style. And one of the songs they do that I sat back and watched, I actually sang with them a little while, and then I sat and watched a little while. One of them they do is the salute to the armed forces. And if I could, if I could do all those songs they did, I would do it, but I can't. So um, each person in their own military branch gets to stand and sing their own song this morning. No, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. You don't, you don't have to do that. But we do want to take time to honor you this morning. Um, so if you have served in our military, we'll start with the army. If you served in the army, would you stand to your feet right where you are? All right, remain standing. If you've served in the Navy, would you please stand to your feet? In the Air Force? Wow. The Marines, stay standing, National Guard, Coast Guard, Reserves, anybody else I missed, remain standing if you would for a moment. Let's take time to thank the Lord for your service. Father, we, we come before you and we desire to honor brothers and sisters in Christ and God, for their service to this country. God, we know it is but a country that is temporary, for we know your kingdom is what is eternal. But God, we, we thank you for the service of these men and women, the time that they gave of their lives. Um, God, it was a, a sacrifice, and we thank you for that sacrifice, the laying down of their life for a period of time to serve a country in which we can live and meet freely and openly to worship and serve you. God, we recognize this country is not perfect, but we recognize that our Savior Jesus Christ is. And this morning, may our affections and our heart be set on him and him alone. And may we continue to honor, uh, God, our brothers and sisters who've served us faithfully, not only in this country, but God, that serve each other in this body faithfully every day. God, we pray your blessing on our time this morning as we begin to open your word. May it be pleasing and honoring to you, and we thank you, and we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right. Thank you, men and women. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn with me to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. We're going to continue with verses 20 and 21. You say, well, you're slowing down a little bit. That's because there's a lot here, um, and there's a lot we need to understand. So as you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. Have you heard enough about COVID yet? I've heard enough, um, but I'm going to tell you, people have lost loved ones to this, this virus. And, and also, we've, we've seen in our culture, people have begun to live fearfully, I think, as well. You know, you don't even know who to believe anymore, I think, about a lot of things. I'm, I'm not getting into a political discussion, trust me. 
But, but I want to make this point. You know, a lot of times we make light of something else that's going on to someone else. But when it begins to affect us, it's very serious, is it not? When it begins to affect us, we become concerned. I mean, we, we get burdened. There are, there are people that are very burdened about sicknesses and being susceptible to disease in, in our country. And I just wondered, as I was pondering that this week, how many of us as the body of Christ are concerned about the spiritual welfare of our own families as much as we are the illnesses that we all face physically. You know, we don't have a problem panicking about physical needs, but yet there are spiritual needs in our lives, in our families' lives, that run so deep. Are we really concerned about our families being infected with the virus of sin that leads to eternal death? Are we concerned about that? The damage that it does. As we continue to study the many relationships that we have in our lives, and we're getting into some different relationships here in this text, I want to remember to allow you, I remind you to allow God to conform you to the image of Christ. Verse 17, I'll read it again for you in, the, in chapter 3. Whatever you do in word and deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. If you want to have a healthy family, it is dependent on Christ being first. Families in the United States of America are in a war. Everything we do is pulling our attention away from each other, pulling the family unit apart. Things like work get in the way. School gets in the way. Facebook gets in the way. TikTok you know, TV, Netflix, Twitter. I mean, we, we have so many things that vie for our attention. And it's destroying this relationship that we must have with God and with one another. You, you may say, well, I spend time with my kids. I, I go to the movies. I've heard parents tell me that. We, we go to the movies regularly. We, we have family time. I'm like, are, are you hearing yourself talk, parents? What do you do at the movies? You sit and you listen and you watch something else. We've even lost touch with what it means to have communication with one another. I find students now spend more time looking down at, at this, and, and some of you older people go, yeah, that's right, but I'm going to say, how, how much time have you really offered them? Have you offered to take them somewhere, um, to, to go somewhere? We need family activities that cause us to interact with one another. You know one of the greatest interactions you can have with your family is Bible study at home? At home. Prayer time at home. How about a sit-down dinner? Th those are kind of a lost art, aren't they? We're fixing to have one of those, right? I'm, I'm actually excited about having a sit-down lunch here in a little bit. Because you get time to visit with one another. I want to encourage you to do that today. What about ministering together? Hey, son, daughter, grandson, i, I got to go visit somebody in the hospital. I want you to come with me. Let's go. Let's go pray for them. Let's go, let's go share Christ with this person. They're lost and they need... Those are the things we've got to set aside time for as families. 
We've looked at the relationship of the, the husband and the wife and their responsibilities. And we're going to see today the, the plan for the rest of the family. As we study, I want you to think about the relationship that you, that you have with God first. Scripture calls those of us who know Christ as our Savior, He calls us children. And the Scripture calls God our Father. That was a brand new concept when Jesus came. They did not understand that. God was something that didn't even utter His name, and Jesus taught them to pray, Abba, Father. To call Him Father or Daddy. Did you ever stop and realize that God thinks so highly of you that He adopted you, if you know Him? You are adopted by Him. You know, many kids have struggled with the thought of being adopted, but what a wonderful gift. You know, Listen, if you're adopted, someone chose to raise you. The rest of us got stuck with ours. Think of it that way. I'm just kidding. You know, God, every kid is a blessing from God. Amen? Every one of them. But those of you who were adopted, you, you should have a special spiritual insight of what God does spiritually. So I want us to see what God has to say about family and family relationships so that we can know uh, how we are to better relate to Him and each other. Let me pray before we look at this passage. Father, teach us according to Your Word and Your truth. Help us to understand more about family relationships this morning that we might please and honor You. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please stand with me as we read Colossians 3, beginning in verse 20. Actually, we're going to back up to verse 17, and I'm going to read through 21. It says this, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. You may be seated. If you're taking notes this morning, we're going to start with the children, and then we're going to move to the parents. And I realize the little children are not in here, but you parents, grandparents, take notes so you can teach them. That's your responsibility. Um, and then young people, take notes so you know what your responsibility is. If you're taking notes, write this down. Children, obey your parents. It's not complicated, is it? But it says, children, obey your parents in whatever you feel like obeying them in, right? That's not what verse 20 says. It says, obey your parents in all things because it pleases God. Why do you obey your parents? Because it's the right thing to do. There's going to be times that kids have to obey their parents, and the parents have made a wrong decision. Not necessarily against, not necessarily against God's Word, but it might be a wrong decision for the family. They are to go along with it. Why? Because if you disobey them, you too have made a wrong decision, and therefore we know two wrongs does not a right make. Correct? Shake your head like this. It's okay. Parents, children learn how to obey from watching you. You ever heard the parents like, I just know I can't get little Johnny to do what he's supposed to do, can't get him to do anything? Listen, Take note of this. Dads, 
Dads, your, your children learn how to submit to authority by watching you submit to the authority of Christ. And that's either an amen or an oh me. And for most of it's and it's an oh me. Moms, children learn how to respect and submit to the authority by watching how you interact with their dad. That's an amen or oh me time as well. No wonder some of them have a difficult time obeying. Because why? We are not perfect. We've been looking in the book of James when we've talked about this before. And it says, for we all stumble in many ways. Kids, listen to your parents. They are older and wiser than you are. They have walked for you walk and can help you avoid a lot of mistakes. One of the things I worked with teenagers for a long time, and one of the things that always baffled me is teenagers, 11, start, it starts when they're about 11, 12, 13, somewhere in there. They, they think that nobody sees what they're doing. Nobody knows what's going on. They don't have a clue. My parents are clueless. They don't know. They don't understand. We know. We know. Why? How do we know? We've been there. We've done that. We've messed up too. You see, parents have walked where you walk, and they can help you avoid a lot of mistakes. Girls, listen to your father's advice on what to wear out of the house. Huh? Your dad was once a boy, and he knows what boys are thinking by the way you dress. Moms, don't give in to the pressure of letting your girls keep up with the latest fads. It's not worth it. Let your husband help in this area. We, we, have, we have for far too long told the, the father to shut up. You don't know what's going on about fads. And it's his responsibility, and we're going to get to that in a moment, about the responsibility of a dad to protect. Dads, speak up. It's your right. Protect your kids. Boys, this applies to you even in how you dress. Whoa, whoa, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Well, this goes for boys and girls both. How you dress speaks volumes about a rebellious heart towards God. You can associate with rebellious groups just in the way you dress. How do you know that? I know there's gangs out there. Roll back the clock to the 50s. And, and you know, I, I've heard parents say, oh, the 50s were the greatest era in, in all time. That's why the guys wore the white T-shirts and rolled the pack of cigarettes up in their sleeve and they wore the jackets, Right? Some of them. That was just their form of rebellion. You have your own. Be careful that your heart stays pure, even in the way you behave. If we had time, I would tell you another little story. Well, I'll tell you real quick. But back when I was a kid, I used to ride my bike everywhere, and I'd ride it up to the store uh, close by. And that's <clears throat> back when they sold these little packets of candy cigarettes. I mean, you could get those little candy cigarettes and act, act cool, you know. And they were just nothing but a sugar stick. That's all they were. And I'd, I'd ride around on my bike. I'd come home. My grandmother came one day, one day and she was appalled that, that I had those. And my mom sat down and had this discussion with me. I'll never forget this discussion. And she said, you know, there's nothing wrong with you having candy. There's, it's, you know, but the Bible tells us to avoid even the appearance of evil. And I'll never forget that. Certain things in our lives that, that give the appearance, even the appearance of us being a part of something, 
ought not take place. Why? Because we exist to glorify God and to reflect His image into the world. Now, number two, kids, you, you obey your parents. Number two, the second command you're given is to honor your father and mother. Why? A lot of kids ask that question. And in the, sim- the simple answer is because God said so. And that's sufficient. Amen? Is it okay because he said so? Yes. This is the first and greatest commandment of the promise. Exodus twenty twelve says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. If you honor your parents, God promises you a longer life, not necessarily a long life. Big difference, right? You still may die younger than, than other people, but if you will obey your parents, the wisdom they give you will keep you out of danger. That is the key here in the text. At what age can you quit honoring your parents is the question most, most kids have. That's a lifelong command. There is a difference between honoring someone, though, and being under their authority. When you grow up and you can hold down a job and you can earn a living and and your parents have released you into the world, you are on your own, you are no longer under their authority, but you still honor them by the way you live and act. What What are you saying there? What if my parents are not Christians? How can I honor them? I've heard that question before. I'm glad you asked. Being obedient to God always honors your parents. Did you know that? If your parents are unbelievers and they don't want anything to do with God and you follow God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you're actually honoring your parents, whether they realize it or not. Parents, children learn how to honor us by watching how we honor God and by watching their dad honor their mom. Children, You are to honor and obey your parents and grandparents. It is right. Verse 21 of this text goes on. It says this simply. It's a very short text. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. I believe God's Word addresses fathers here in this text for a couple of reasons. Number one, because the father has been given the position of the head of the family. He is responsible. He's ultimately responsible for his wife and his children. And I'm speaking not just physically, not just monetarily. I'm speaking spiritually. Secondly, because dads are more likely to pester and annoy their kids too is what I think. I don't know how many times Michelle had to get on to me, quit provoking your kids. Like, we're just having fun. No, you're driving them crazy. Well, that's kind of what I felt like I was born to do, drive people crazy. We should not, though, ignore moms here because moms are inclined to spoil kids sometimes, right? There should be a balance, though. How should we raise our children so that they're not provoked? That's what the text here. Do not provoke your kids to anger. So how do we do that? Number one, if you're a parent, just write the word down, love them. Love them. Well, what do you mean, love them? 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. Jesus first loved us. 
You don't love apart from God. God loved you first, and He enables you to love others. That's why Paul addressed your relationship with Christ first. Take off the old, put on the new, walk in Christ, reflect His image, and everything you do, whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So it all begins with that relationship. But there's going to be times when your kids are unlovely or unlovable. You choose to show them and tell them that you love them in spite of that. If if your love for your child is dependent upon their actions, you are not giving them a Christ-like example of love. Remember? For as Jesus hung on the cross, he even said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. On the cross, Jesus not only showed love, he demonstrated it for you. He gave his life for you. Fathers, the first way to show your children you love them is for you to not only love Christ, but to love their mother. Love their mother. Remember, men, what what does it require for you to love your wife? It requires sacrifice, laying down your life for them. It requires sanctification. We'll get to that in a moment. And it requires forgiveness. This applies to our children as well as our wives, men. There's going to be times that you might have to show your children you love them by sacrificing a job promotion or recognition so that you might be the father that God called you to be to them. Question, do you watch more TV or do you help them with their homework and scripture memory more? Oh me. That's not an amen point, is it? It's an oh me point. It, it, I'm going I'm to give you a news flash because I think in churches today we have lost sight of biblical responsibility in the home. It is not the youth director's responsibility for your child to grow in Christ. If you get mad at a youth director because your child's not growing in Christ, you are doing nothing more than Adam and Eve did in the garden and you're placing blame where it doesn't lie. It lies solely at the husband and the wife's responsibility as parents. That's where it is. It stops and and starts. God comes to you to be accountable for those things. Parents, you need to sanctify them. And we're going to talk about that later and and forgive them. Parents, you, you show your kids how you love them by, number one, keeping God's commands. Exodus 20, verses 5 and 6 Listen to what it says. This is around the giving of God's Ten Commandments. And it says this, You shall not worship them or serve them, speaking of idolatry. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, speaking of thousands of generations, to those who love me and keep my commandments. What's he saying there? He's saying, fathers, your actions have consequences that directly affect your children and their children and their children. To the third and the fourth generation. But, 
Your loving kindness, your love for God affects many generations. That's a great promise. Amen? I mean, hallelujah, that we have the hope of if we will but love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we will teach that to our children, it will affect not only the next generation, but for generations to come. Parents, you show your kids love by teaching them to keep God's commands. Deuteronomy 6, 5-9. through 9. I just heard this passage being read. If you noticed a while ago, Michelle and I were hovering around a little, little, little uh, phone over there. We weren't being rude or anything. But our, our baby grandson, Samuel Isaiah, was being dedicated this morning in McKinney, Texas at First Baptist Church. And so we wanted to watch it live. And this is the text that was read this morning and, and I, I love this text. And you say, well, I thought God did away with the law. No, Jesus said, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. For through the moral law, we see the reflection in the character of Christ and God re- re- reflected through the world. And so we teach the law not as something to be kept so that we earn favor with God. We teach the law that the moral character of God might be reflected to a lost and dying world and that they might turn and, and follow Him. So listen to what this Deuteronomy 6, 5-9 through 9 says about it. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words, which I am commanding you today, shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. What does that mean? The Word of God should be central in the home. It must be centrally taught, exposed, and practiced in the home. Not just when you come and arrive on a Sunday morning. Parents, you show your kids love also by disciplining them. The kids, I know you're going to want to do this right now, but this is this the way it goes. And it falls under training, which we'll get to in a moment. But discipline is a key element in showing love. Do your kids know that you love them because you tell them, because that you show them? I pray they do. How should you raise your children so they're not provoked? Not only love them, the second thing you need to write down is protect them. Protect them. I know of some kids that, that you know, have gone out and done things in secret, and I have seen some of the things done in secret in small towns and big towns. And, and you know the first thing that, that comes to my mind is, do their parents know what they're doing? That's one of the first things that comes to my mind. Do their parents know And then the next question is, is, well, if they knew, do they care? Because some parents don't care, do they? They don't. We must parent our children by being involved and knowing where they are and what they're doing. And newsflash, we need help doing this. Who's supposed to help us? The church. The church body. We need a church family. Many of you have experienced burdens with your own children. You need to come to someone and be able to say, I need you to pray for little Johnny because he desperately needs Jesus and he's running in rebellion right now. And maybe Johnny's left your home, but maybe Johnny's still within your home and and you understand, I need 
to bear this burden. I don't want to bear this burden alone. God has given me a church family to pray with me. I'll never forget learning this lesson some years ago. Uh, and, and I, you know, I never realized it until, you know, your daughters are, are teenagers and you realize there's guys chasing them and it strikes fear in your heart, just quite honestly. And, and, and I realized, you know, I, we can teach, we can train, we can help, but we can't make them do anything. And so we began to pray and, and, and I realized that I, I thought, you know, I thought I had one that was starting to veer off this path. And so I went to my associate pastor and I said, hey, I need you to pray with me about this. And I had a couple of people praying with us about it. And, and you know what dawned on me? Because I submitted myself to humbly ask for prayer through listening to this man, this younger man than me talk. It dawned on me, God is far more jealous for your children than you are. Far more jealous for your kids than you are. My, my wife had been trying to teach me and tell me that for a long time, and I, I didn't listen. And, and her words echoed in my heart when I heard that as well. And God, God did his work. But our job is to protect them. One of the ways we do that is through prayer. We pray, we get on our knees, and we beg God to do miracles and wonders in their life. Until that point comes, though, as we teach them the Word of God, we're praying for them, we, we need to set boundaries for them as, as well, right? God did that for us when He gave us the ten suggestions. Or, was that right? Are you awake? Say, no, it's the ten commandments. He protected us from ourselves and from others. Commandments are not given to punish you, but to protect you. We don't realize it, but it's true. A parent's discipline guides their child by protecting them. Kids, listen closely, because I want you to understand this comes from the Word of God. This is not my opinion. This is what God's Word says about discipline. Proverbs 22.15 Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, and the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Huh? What's that mean? Rod, discipline, that's spanking. Biblical. Proverbs 23, verse 12 and four, through 14, lest you think I'm making this up. Apply your heart to discipline and your ears to words of knowledge. Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. Huh? You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. What? What's God saying there? Here, here's my, my Texas translation of that. God says whoopings are okay. That's the Texas translation. And, and also, God made this soft spot on the hind end to endure that. So if you strike him, he will not die. If you're hitting your child in a way that hurts them, you're doing it wrong. Permanently hurting them or leaving bruises and, and such, you're doing it wrong. It's to be done with love. But, but it is to be done with an act of discipline and love. Proverbs 29, 15 lest you think I'm still making this up. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. 
You, you ever seen that kid that's just over there, I mean, screaming, and, and, and the, the parents are like, well, she's not going to do anything about it. And you can just say, oh, that poor mother, how embarrassing. Th this is biblical. It's to be done in love, and it's going to be done right, but discipline must come in the home. Hebrews 12, 6, part of protecting God's children is his discipline. Listen to what God says in Hebrews 12, 6. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Question. If you've been living in rebellion against God, you know you're violating God's word over and over and you don't care. And, and you have seen, well, God's never disciplined me. He never got on to me. Question for you. Do you even know him? I choose to believe the word of God. He disciplines every child whom he receives and he, he scourges Every son whom he's received, and he disciplines out of love. If you're not under the discipline of God, there's a good chance you don't belong to him. That's a scary thought, isn't it? But those of us who've, who've walked away from God, and we've sensed his discipline, and his, his sometimes not so gentle you know, arm saying, you're coming back this way. You're, you're coming back, son, you're, you're doing the wrong thing. Now we have the gift of the Holy Spirit who brings conviction in our heart when we have offended God, and that conviction should be noticeable in your life. The Holy Spirit should convict you, and the discipline of that is that He convicts you that your sin is wrong, that you must turn away from it and turn back to Christ. Parents, your children need consistent boundaries to protect them. That's what shows them that you love them. Children need protection from themselves, and they need consistent boundaries that result in consistent discipline. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, in, in the Kelly household years ago, when we had four little rugrats running around all over the place, and we didn't know if we were sleeping or, or trying to lay down in a bed and not sleeping uh, most of the night, there were three certain rules that always resulted in a spanking every time, no questions asked. These were our rules, this is what we came up with, and they were pretty simple. No hitting, no lying, and no willful disobedience towards your parents. You do any one of those three, there's no negotiation, you're going to get a spanking, because sin comes with a penalty. doesn't in Scripture, right, all the time. The wages of sin is death. So we wanted them to learn sin came with a penalty. We had other rules in our home, you know, that didn't result in, in a spanking like that. We, picked our, we had to learn to pick our battles. Michelle was really good at that and helping me figure that out, and we kind of muddled our way through it. M many people in the back then would say, well, you just need to ease up on your kids a little bit. I'm like, no, I, I love them. Michelle was like, no, we, we love our kids. Here's the boundaries. You're responsible to God for your kids. I'm responsible for these. That's why you need to set good, defined boundaries. Moms, really look at what your daughter's wearing. 
and tell me this, are you more concerned about her popularity with others or how she's honoring God? Dads, speak up. You know the the mind of, of young men. Dads, teach your sons to memorize Job 31 1. I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then shall I gaze or lust at a virgin or a woman? Use scripture to train the mind to be obedient to Christ. Why? To honor him, to reflect him well. It goes back to verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, part of your job as parents is not to provoke your kids to anger. And one of the fastest ways to provoke a child to anger is to have moving boundaries and rules. Well, this time it's okay to do this, but next time it's not. What? You got on to them when they're around people you want to impress, and, and when you're not, you don't. If you have inconsistent rules, your children will never know what to expect from you. That's why God gave us consistent rules and discipline. God is desiring us to obey Him, and He is pleased with us when we do, but when we disobey, we do receive His discipline, and it is good, it is loving, it is kind. How are you protecting your children and your grandchildren? Number three, and the last one, how should we raise our children so that they're not provoked? Train them. Train them. What do you mean? Well, we are to sanctify them. We, we said sanctify means to set something apart for its original purpose. When you got into your car this morning and you drove here, you sanctified the car. You used it for its originally intended purpose. Your child was created by God for an, a, a purpose, a specific purpose. It's your job to help them learn that purpose to sanctify them. There's a passage of Scripture that a lot of people love to, to, to say, and it's Proverbs 22.6, and it's train up, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. And we use that extra, well, I taught him about Jesus a long time ago, and so they, they'll come back. That's actually not what this text is actually saying. It doesn't mean train up a child in the way you think they should go or even the way you were brought up. You are to to train them in the way the child has been designed by God to glorify God. That's what it means. Every child has a certain bent or a design that God gave them. Proverbs 30, 18-20 says this, There are three things which are too wonderful for me, four which I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky... The way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship in the middle of the sea, and the way of a man with a maid. This is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. What are you saying with that passage, Pastor, today? Well, an eagle flies through the air a certain way, right? God made the eagle to soar. A snake slithers across a rock like no other animal. A ship moves across the sea like like nothing else. A man romances his girl with his own style. And still an adulterous woman has her own evil way. 
Your child has been given certain bents by God. You can instruct them in the ways of God, but one day you must release them, and they must travel and live in the way God designed them. And it should be for the glory of God. Should be. Each child needs different training, tailored the way God created them. Equal but different training. So many people get so caught up and everything has to be exactly equal. But did you realize your kids have different needs? They do. You have different needs than anyone else in this room. And God supplies those needs for you in accordance with what you need. Your first need is Christ, of course, Himself. Amen? But then, on, in addition to that, you have certain bents and weaknesses that others don't. God did not create everyone to play sports. Huh? Have you ever tried to teach a gifted musician how to play ball? Yeah, you probably have. There, there, there are... There are 20-year-olds that are musicians that if you got them to throw a ball, it, it, it just it, it looks funny. Now, how about pulling somebody out of the NFL and saying, hey, we, we need you to play flute right now. Get after it. They don't even know how to hold the thing, right? They have no clue why. God gave them certain bents. Picture this. Can you, can you imagine Josh Groban playing tight end for the Dallas Cowboys? What a waste of talent, right? That man can sing. God gifted him to do that. Why can't they do something they're not gifted to do? Because that's the way God made them. We do that with our children. We recognize God has wired you to glorify them, Him in this way. Teach them. Help them to grow in that, that they might do that. They're not all going to go to the military like you did. They're not all going to be a teacher like you did. They're not all going to be a fireman like you. They're all not going to be a preacher like you. They're all not going to do the exact same thing you did. But they can glorify God and teach them to learn how God has wired them to do so. They need to learn they are first if they know Christ. They're a child of God. They need to understand as a child of God, you are to be a servant of God. Not a ruler. Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And they are to live as God intended them. And we must look at children as a blessing. However God gave them. Psalm 127, 3-5 says, Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward like arrows in the hand of a warrior so are the children of one's youth blessed. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Oh, no, no, no. It's just us two and, and, and our two kids and, and no more. We, we don't want any more. That, that was the mentality years back, right? We, we, we've got our fill of kids and let's move on. We, we don't want any more. We, we, we wonder now... Why our culture is looking down on, on children now. Why don't we value them like we once did and see them as a blessing? Go back to the farm families years ago. Then you say, well, they had a lot of kids so they could work the farm. Maybe, but they valued the child, did they not? Children are a blessing from the Lord. You say, well, are you sure, are you sure my child is the blessing? It's been a lot of heartache. 
God made them. Listen, he's not in the business of making junk. He makes blessings. Thank him for that. God has given them a purpose. And he's blessed you and he has expectations of you. Young people, he, call, he compares them to arrows. Think about that. A, someone who has a quiver full of arrows, they, they have taken time, likely beforehand, to examine each arrow. You know, if, if you want to examine an arrow, you, you first you want to make sure it's straight. Is that thing straight? Is it true? What about the feathers on the back of it? You know, you take time to line those up because those feathers have to be at just the right angle. So that, you know, the, the arrow is going to fly good. Maybe, maybe even make sure the tip is good and sharp. And then, and then he takes that arrow, he places it in the bow, and he draws back, and he aims it at a target. And when he's got the target lined up, he releases. At that moment, it's up to the arrow to fly straight. When it's been released. Question. You don't control the flight of the arrow, parents. The question is, what have you aimed your child at? Have you, have you aimed your child at money, recognition, fame, worldliness, some form of control or power? Or have you aimed them at holiness, righteousness, truthfulness, and godliness? There's time to re-aim. But it may mean you have to admit some of your mistakes and confess your sin and ask God for forgiveness. You know, by the time we get to be grandparents, we've learned enough to actually make us fairly good parents, I think. Um, if, if we know the Lord and we're pursuing them. But by then, you just don't have the time and the energy, do you? You're just like, I just can't do it. You know, we, we keep our grandkids and we're like, man, after several hours, we're like, whoo, I'm exhausted. I forgot about all that energy. Um, but grandparents are very important to grandkids. Spend time with them, work with them, set boundaries for them. They need to learn of the Lord's love from you too. Call them. Don't be the grandparent that says, well, they just need to call me. No, you pick up the phone and you call them. Hey, sorry to interrupt your life, but I love you. <laughs> and I'm not going away. Call them. Call them. It's taken many years and a lot of time invested by my grandparents and my parents to help sanctify me for the purpose that God has for me. To be the Christian man and husband and father and grandfather and minister of the gospel that God's called me to be. My parents had no idea that I could ever settle down long enough to obey the Lord because I was the kid that was causing trouble in church everywhere. I know y'all find that hard to believe, but I was. But my grandmother, I'll never forget her, bless her heart. She used to tell everybody, she was an Avon lady. She used to tell all her customers and all her young married group that she, she ministered to till she was 86. I think she was working with young marriage at church. And, and she'd say, my grandson's going to be the next Billy Graham. Oh my God, please, please stop saying that. I'm, I'm not, but you couldn't tell her that. 
She wanted to aim me at Christ, at the gospel, to have a, a calling that was above and beyond selfishness, that was pointed at Jesus himself. My mom and my dad wanted the same thing. My grandparents wanted the same thing. And God partnered me with a wife who desires the same thing for me, that she's willing to sacrifice, that I would stay pointed and focused at Christ. The hours that they all spent with me, encouraging me, helping me, and yes, whooping me, is what helped me and shaped me by the Lord's hand and his work in my life. There is hope for you and your children. There's hope for your grandchildren. And you know, I'm afraid we've forgotten to be in prayer fervently for our children and grandchildren. We don't pray enough. We need to pray for one another. Husbands are to love their wives, and wives, you're to respect your husbands. Children, you are to honor and obey your parents. It's not too late to start now. Parents, love your children. Protect them. Set boundaries for them. Train them. Equip them to succeed in the way God designed them. Parents, if you fail with your kids, begin with your grandkids. It's never too late to start doing what's right. And above all, if you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have no hope of accomplishing any of this. For Jesus Christ came at the right time to die for your, sin, for your sin. While you were still in sin, God demonstrated His love for you. You see, each one of us was born in sin. We're born an enemy of God. We are born with the wrath of God facing us, and the payment we should get for that sin is eternal death. But God intervened, and he sent Jesus and displayed his great love for us on the cross. He loved us and offered forgiveness for us even before we ask, and he calls everyone now to turn from that sin and to trust in that payment and follow after him. And if you've done that and you've never followed in the waters of baptism, one of the first pictures that, that he calls us to live as a witness is in the waters of baptism. A picture that we were buried with Christ in baptism, but raised to walk in newness of life. If you've never done that, I, I would love to visit with you about that. This church would love to talk with you. And if God's calling you to be a part of this church family, we'd love to speak with you further about that. But this morning, I pray that you would come and maybe just pray at this altar, pray where you're at. If you need to come visit with me, I would be happy to do that and talk with you about your relationship with the Lord. But just know this. God is a father to his children. And he loves them. He seeks to protect them. He will discipline them. And he will not leave you or forsake you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the hope in Jesus this morning. God, I know these, these words are not easy to talk about. This, this text is not an easy one in a culture, God, which, which tells us, God, to run the opposite direction sometimes from what your word actually teaches. God, help us to trust you and your word rather than the opinions of this world. God, help us to be found surrendered to you and you alone. God, use this time of response today for us to meditate on what you have spoken through the power of your spirit, through your word, to our hearts, that we might be found obedient. In Jesus' name, amen.